This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of Now and Not Yet. Pressing in when you're waiting, wanting, and restless for more. Written and narrated by best-selling author Ruth Cho Simons and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Hey friends, welcome to the Grace Enough podcast. I am your host, Amber Cullum. Each episode, I sit down with a guest to discuss their life journey and how the grace of God has impacted them along the way. After listening to today's episode, I hope you are encouraged that God can use you right now in the midst of your day-to-day life. Yes, it requires daily surrender and trust, but we must remember His grace is enough. I learned about today's guest from my friend and babysitter, Laura. Stephanie Page is the founder and executive director of Stories Foundation and the Freedom Truck. Stories is committed to ending the cycle of human trafficking in our communities through business, one of which is the Freedom Truck, which you will hear all about today. We chat about common ways people are trafficked in America, how we can be involved in decreasing human trafficking through what we purchase, and how much human trafficking awareness has changed since her journey began in 2012. Listen to what Steph says about human trafficking on a spiritual level. We have been set free from sin. You know, I think Satan is the greatest trafficker. You know, Christ has purchased our freedom. We are free and he manipulates us, coerces us, lies to us, plays on our emotions, tells us we need these other things and traffics us into sin. My hope after listening to today's episode is you are more aware of the ways you can begin decreasing human trafficking in your day-to-day life and that awareness leads to action. Hi, Steph. It's so great to have you on the show today. Thank you for taking the time to be here. Thanks so much for having me, Amber. I'm so excited. Will you take a few moments to introduce us to you and your family and to what you do? Yes. So I am a wife. Um, My husband is Chris. He's actually from Canada. So we're like cross-cultural, maybe. I don't know. Eastern Canada. And we have four girls. Amy is 12. Olivia is 9. Eden is six and Isabella is two and a half. That's the life that we live. Yes, all the emotions. Busy, busy, busy. Tell us a little bit about Stories Foundation. So Stories Foundation is a 501c3 nonprofit out of Minnesota, and we are committed to ending the cycle of human trafficking in our communities. So we do that through lots of different ways, through awareness. And our unique way we do that is through business. And our first endeavor with that is our food truck. It's called the Freedom Truck. And we spread awareness about human trafficking with our cause on wheels, we call it. And then all the proceeds from our truck goes back to fighting trafficking, both locally and internationally. So that's in a nutshell (laughs) what we do. Foundation, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, take us back to 2012 when this whole dream began. I know that it also includes your mother um, and includes this, you know, a book you were reading. Take us back to that time and tell us the story behind how you got to this place. Um, my mom and dad and I were on a road trip. I was pregnant with Eden, um, our third, and we were going to a family wedding in Michigan. And my mom got a free book on her Kindle called Passport Through the Darkness um, by Kimberly Smith. And Kimberly Smith is the founder of Makeway Partners. And it was her story. This book was her story. Mm. 
She was a missionary in Spain through a series of events, learned about child trafficking, child slavery in Spain, uh, and worked for two years to um, free these children that she had encountered, only to lose them again in the system. And she guesses that they most likely got sold back into slavery. And so just how that changed the trajectory of her own life. And I remember reading it and I remember looking out the window and she takes us then to Africa. Her ministry is mostly in the Sudan and she works with children who are victims of um, being recruited to be child soldiers. Mm -hmm. And I just remember looking out, out the window and just saying to God, this isn't okay that children are being forced to do these horrific things and they're being taken advantage of and exploited. And I remember him, it's like he said to my spirit, you're right, it's not okay. What are we going to do about that? <laughs> and it was just one of those moments where all my excuses of, you know, when I'm done having babies or when we have more money or when we have more stable jobs or when we can pay our bills better or they just didn't matter when you think of the reality out there in the world. My mom and I, we knew of a pastor named Mark Batterson who started a coffee yeah. shop out in DC and he gives his money away to missions. We thought, well, we don't have any money, but we like coffee and maybe maybe there's more people like us that would be so horrified if they knew about this and we want to help all of us make a difference in this issue. So then did you reach out to Mark Batterson or what? Like We tried. We tried to reach out to Ebenezer's. Yeah. What we learned. So back in 2012, human trafficking. I mean, uh, it was just coming on the scene of awareness yeah. at that point. Yes. People really didn't know about it. And, you know, social impact business also back then was not right. a thing. <laughs> like we've come a long way. Yes. Uh, but there were a few coffee shops that were trying to do what we wanted to do. So Eugene, oh, I'm going to say his name wrong. Anyways, a pastor out in Seattle, he has a coffee shop associated with his church. Oh, he's the founder of um, One Day's Wages. That's his organization. Okay. And they give money, uh, grant money to grassroots nonprofits trying to do good. And anyway, so he's doing social impact back then. And then there was another coffee shop out in California. But yeah, very few and far between. And what we learned is that all these people were so busy doing their work, they really couldn't help us know how they did it, which is often the case, right? With nonprofits and startups that you're just trying to do the thing. <laughs> you yeah, and really it's not like you have this team of um, 50, 60, 70 people because there's not endless amount of resources in order to hire all those people to be helping everybody else. Right, exactly. So it's definitely been a journey of how in the world do you even do this? And can it be done? And, and do we even try <laughs> to right. do it? I think at the beginning, especially, there was just a lot of questions. And I just started with what I had. I've always been um, a speaker. I'm really good at communicating. It's like my thing. It's talking. And so I learned about human trafficking. I was very naive. I didn't know about it. So I learned about it. And then we just started sharing and we did some of we started doing events. And that's really where we began is with awareness, which really is the first step right. for everyone. So you start speaking. What did you start like immediately speaking at your own church? Uh, what were some of those venues that just the door got opened? How did that work? Well, we first did an event. That was maybe the very first thing we did. So we put on, I had done some women's events previously to that, organized them and put them on. So I had friends who we knew how to do this thing of putting on a multiple day event where you bring in vendors and speakers. And I said, you know, I really feel like we need to do one about human trafficking. And wow. so we did, and we brought in um, local organizations and local breakouts and 
really talked about human trafficking from the perspective of as Christ followers, we have been set free from sin. You know, I think Satan is the greatest trafficker. You know, Christ has Mm. purchased our freedom. We are free and he manipulates us, coerces us, lies to us, plays on our emotions, tells us we need these other things and traffics us into sin, right? And, um, And we've been set free from that. So as Christians, I think it is our greatest responsibility to be about freedom, both spiritual and physical. So that's, that was our first big event. And then from there, I always say, I'll, I'll go to anyone anywhere and talk about human trafficking. So a lot of one-on-one coffee shop meetings, a lot of in-home meetings, a lot of small church, some church groups, really, you know, a lot of small venues, honestly, one or two people have said, you know what, we want to know more about this. And um, let's do that. And then we ended up doing two more conferences like that after that in those first, those early years. That's how we, how we did it. And how it just spread. So then yes. did you all ended up, end up opening a coffee shop at any point? No, we still have not. Well, that's that okay though, our... because you're doing something that is even, I don't want to say more impactful, but in a different way, the fact that you have a food truck, which is something that's very popular in our culture today, but also able to move around to different locations, which is fantastic. Okay, so how did you end up acquiring the food truck? Because again, you have no money at this early phase. So when did that come along? In 2015, we finally bit the bullet. I quit my job and said, if I'm going to do this, we need to do it. And we decided to become a nonprofit. And that was a big like debate too, you know, for-profit, non-profit. And even back then, social impact business just wasn't a thing, wasn't really a thing yet. So we decided to go the nonprofit route so we could fundraise and so we could utilize volunteers. And so we became a nonprofit end of 2015. And it was beginning of 2016. We were watching a movie, Chef. It's about a guy. He's a chef. I. It's a good movie. They're swearing. That's always my cat. <laughs> It's part of my story. Hey, listen, so, people love Jesus who swear. It's true. There's not really sex in it. Well, there isn't. So that's like, you know, <laughs> anyway. Um, but it's about a chef who loses his job and he he revamps a truck and then he drives like I think from Florida to Louisiana in this truck. And I thought, oh, wouldn't that be so cool if we could have a food truck and it would like spread awareness and it would be just this fun way to help people talk about a really hard issue and it would do our mission of what we really want to do, which is engage people through what they purchase and help them make a difference and So January 2016, we said, let's try to do this. And by March, we had we launched um, like a crowdfunding campaign and we did our budget and we we raised thirty two thousand dollars in 30 days and we launched a food truck that. (laughs) So that was our beginning. And, And the food truck has always been like our step. I knew what I was hearing from people. And I don't know if it's Minnesota or what, but, you know, the lot of skepticism, like, you know, coffee doesn't make any money. And how are you going to do this? And you'll never be able to run something on volunteers. And, you know, girl, that's everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) And, and, you know, why wouldn't I just give to the organizations instead of coming and buying from your your coffee shop? And then I want to say, you know, now I'm I'm a little more feistier now than I was back then. But oh, what organizations are you giving to? That's so awesome. Good for you. Isn't that amazing how when we just take little steps of faith, God really does empower us to have a voice? Because I found that too. Well, you're saying that, but are you really doing that? Mm -hmm. (laughs) We like excuses as humans. We want to justify our comfort. Absolutely. So the truck, I 
I thought, okay, we need to show people what this is. They can't see it. They can't visualize it. We need to show them and we need to help them um, see and we need to show them that it's going to work and it's going to be impactful. So the truck was like our little step. People were saying half a million dollars for a cafe, for a building. So, Mm. you know, 30,000 compared to half a million. That's way more doable. So the truck, um, we raised the money in early 2016 and then we launched it that next June. And yeah, it's been, it's been fun. Been a okay, blast. so I have to ask, this has nothing to do with human trafficking, but did you even, like, how did you know what to cook? Um, like, it, it's just amazing to me that people say, I'm just doing this. Yeah, yeah. And you trust God it, along the way to provide. It is. It's a huge, it's so much trust. Um, there were times where the unknown and the fear, and I am not, I wouldn't have classified myself, you know, six, seven years ago as someone who allowed fear to have a lot of space in me, but the fear of unknown and the fear of stepping into something with everybody watching you, Mm -hmm. that has been such a learning experience and trust for me to not allow fear to dictate and to not allow the anxiety and the not take it back from Jesus, right? Because if he's called you into it, you have to continue to allow him to be the one that's going to accomplish it Mm -hmm. and empower you. So yeah, we're not chefs. Um, We're not, we don't have restaurant experience. We have some like coffee shop experience, but that's not food. We have some catering in our family a little bit. Um, my food truck manager's mom has worked in food service. So there's a little bit of background there, but we just sat down and said, what would we like to eat and what can we make? And you know, what can we, the ingredient list got pared down to what can we use in a lot of our things so that our costs are lower. So just a lot of strategy and a lot of, you know, eating and I, I like, <laughs> we know good food tastes like, so <laughs> that's what we've it. done. Yeah. It's, it's worked. It works. Well, so if I walk up to the Freedom Truck, what would my experience be like? Because it's not the typical walking up and just ordering your food and walking away. Like, give us a visual um, and maybe what we might encounter. So um, you walk up to our truck and we have a big menu board on the outside, which is normal. But right away at the top, it says all proceeds from your meal today go to fight human trafficking. And then we have a sandwich board with some statistics in Minnesota and in the world about what human trafficking is. Um, And then we have cards out about stories and about what we do and how the truck impacts that. And then people get napkins with a statistic on it with their meal. And we say, thanks so much for partnering with us. All of your, you know, your meal today benefits the fight against human trafficking. And thanks for partnering with us. We try and say that to every person when it's super busy. I don't know if that totally happens, but that's the goal. Right. <laughs> do you have a lot of people who ask you guys questions about yeah. those statistics? Because I yeah. know if you're paying attention, they can be very alarming. Yes. Yeah, we for sure have people that ask us questions. We have people that will say, I had no idea. We have people who will say, um, you know, thank you so much for what you're doing. It's you know, I started stories on the very optimistic belief that people would want to make a difference in this issue and that they would rise up. And the truck has proven that to be true. People, if they're given an opportunity, they will choose to make a difference. And mm. people are constantly coming up. And even if they don't order anything, they'll be like, here, thank you so much and drop, you know, cash in our tip jar or, you know, add an extra five bucks on my charge or what you're doing is so great or let's partner more or how can we bring you to our event? You know, people, they really do want to see this issue 
decreased and they really want to be a part of it when it's broken down for them in a tangible way. So it's been really sweet that way. That is really impactful. And I know sometimes you all have someone actually standing outside of the truck. Is that correct? To just talk with people who are desiring maybe to have a more in-depth conversation? Mm -hmm. Yep. That's the goal is to have somebody out there who can talk more about what we do and more about what human trafficking looks like in our communities. And we also try and really partner with other organizations that are doing this kind of work so that, you know, not everybody can do everything. And in the nonprofit world, I think sometimes we try to do everything, but we are better together and we're better when we all do our pieces. So being really intentional with strategic partnerships and pointing people to the organization that might suit them and their skill set too. I, I passionately believe that we can all be fighting human trafficking, not by adding something new to our plate, but to looking where we already are and saying, okay, how, how do I just need to change what I'm already doing to fight this issue? There's lots of ways. What are some things since, you know, 2012 or what in 2019 now? So in all these years, what are some things you feel like you've learned about human trafficking along the way, changes that you've seen Oh, I've learned so much. I just had no idea back when we read that book that slavery was still a thing. I just thought it was over and done. And unfortunately, in our world today, there are more slaves today than there ever have been at any other point in history. And it's actually getting worse. The more we learn, the worse it's getting. So it's not going away. And, you know, human trafficking is so insidious and it it really does affect all of us at these deep levels when something so horrific actually affects you it's really hard to talk about it and it's really hard to talk about changing it when it it's so deep in our culture when you look at sex trafficking we have sex trafficking we have child sex trafficking because we have pornography and because we have an oversexualized culture because we have sexual addiction um and when you start to talk about when you start to say pornography is a reason for child sex trafficking child sexual abuse um child sexual exploitation that's going to strike some chords mm-hmm. um of shame honestly and when shame is revealed people want to hide so it's interesting because you know it's not homeless where you can go pack blankets and and hand them out. You know, it's not let's go build wells and all of those are super valuable. And actually all of those issues affect trafficking because where there's homelessness, there's vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Where there's vulnerability, there's room for exploitation. So that's what traffickers look for is vulnerabilities to exploit. And the same with poverty or lack of food or lack of water or even just moving to a new city. If a girl moves to a new city, she doesn't have friends, her parents work or even their great parents or whatever, trafficker can spot the vulnerability of loneliness and exploit it. So many things. And I think with trafficking, um, too, in a spiritual sense, it's just been this dark space that Mm -hmm. Satan has just ruled for a really long time. So to say we're going to fight this and we're going to say that people have value, you know, victims of prostitution, there are people too and they have value. And when we talk about labor trafficking also, because really what drives labor trafficking is materialism. (laughs) That's like our thing here in America is our things. Our things are our things. When we go into that space on a spiritual level, I think it just makes him mad. And the warfare that I've experienced in the last seven years of my life is unlike personal, like personal internal warfare is like nothing I've ever experienced. And my, oh, wow. my husband and I lived in Ukraine and we've done ministry. Our, our whole married life in the last seven years has been unlike anything else. 
So the enemy has really just been attacking you for the work that you're doing to expose trafficking. Wow. Mm -hmm. Well, for someone out there who really has no idea, I mean, now human trafficking has almost become, I don't want to say a buzzword, but in Christian community it has. But Mm -hmm. I still encounter people all the time who really don't understand what that even means. Yeah. Okay, so slavery is real, but what does that mean? Like, how are people being enslaved? And so I've tried at times to explain that to people, and maybe you can give us, you know, two to four examples of how that happens in our culture. People think it's always abroad. It is not. It is alive and well here in America. So can you do that? Can you give somebody who maybe has no idea what it is, like two to four ways that somebody in America may be trafficked? Yeah, for sure. So there's two different ways to see human trafficking play out. And I've already kind of touched on that. There's labor trafficking and sex trafficking. So I think the one we know most about because it's so horrific to talk about, which is why it's kind of got that buzz to it, which is terrible that we're drawn to terrible things, you know, but we are. So is sex trafficking. And sex trafficking in America looks like, you know, a young girl who, one, one of the first stories, and I kind of alluded to this, so I'll just expound on it. One of the first stories I ever read about human trafficking in America was called The Slave Across the Street. And it, this is like back 20, 30 years ago. A girl, she was part of a really great family. Um, her dad got relocated to a wealthy suburb in Chicago. He was a high-ranking like exec, and she was new to school. And she had became friends with this boy um, in her school, and he asked her on a date. And then on that date, he she was raped, and it was recorded. And they used this mob, like the mafia, used that recording to blackmail her for, I think, two years is what it was, where she was living out at her house and they would call her on her phone and say, you need to come now. And she would go because she was, had so much fear at 16, 15, 16, 17, whatever, that, you know, they would threaten her brother and they would threaten her dog and they would tell that they were going to release this video to her dad's bosses. And so she was horrific things for two years um, in the middle of the night when she was in her own home um, in her family in a in a very wealthy suburb. So that's they're literally traffickers are literally trained on how to see these vulnerabilities of isolation, loneliness, um, wanting to be loved, wanting to be seen. And I always say, like, who hasn't been vulnerable in their lives? Mm-hmm. And especially if you're 14, 15, 16. Mm-hmm. Are you kidding? That's like, if you look at a teenager, that's how you describe them. <laughs> vulnerable. So there are people out there that are looking for that and saying, how can I exploit this? And how can I make money off of it? So I've seen a lot of poverty and a lot of political unrest. But with trafficking, it's one human being looking at another and saying, how can I use you for my own gain? That that's why I keep doing what I do, because for those of us who are in a relatively healthy place in our life and who haven't been really exploited or um, taken advantage of, we need to be the ones that come alongside and cover those vulnerabilities so that other people can't exploit them. So that's one situation. Another would be, you know, a girl who works at a diner, same situation. A boy comes in a couple years older, they're good looking, comes in a lot with his friends. Mm-hmm. They start dating. He even takes her. This happened out in um, Washington State. He even takes her to a big house party while she's being shopped. She doesn't know this, but all the men there are shopping her. And she goes home. And then he's like, oh, I want to take you to, I think it was Arizona. 
and I want you to, you know, you're going to go to school there and you, I'm going to get you a job. And she's about to leave with him and her friend steps in because he feels something's off and he calls his mom and he calls her parents and she comes to find out she was about to be sold and never someone had bought her and she would never have come home again. So it's not, you know, we think trafficking is, oh, my daughter's going to get stolen from the side of the road. And I'm not saying that can happen. It, It can happen, but normally it's this coercion and it's this manipulation and it's a relationship and it's, it's a drawing in. So as people in the world, if we are, you know, in our neighborhoods and our communities and our churches and wherever, if we are coming alongside people and we are being in true community and true relationship, we're going to see these things and we're going to start to see a decrease in human trafficking. But I really believe that until we start to risk right where we are, which it's way easier to go overseas and like for 10 days, right? Like I know it doesn't seem like it, but it is, isn't it? Yes, it totally is because it doesn't, it doesn't take ownership in our hearts. It doesn't take as much time. We can separate ourselves to go over there, have compassion and then come home and separate ourselves. Yep. But I mean, it goes on right here. But to you know, invest and to risk in our own communities, it's just harder, even for me, you know, so that's the challenge. And that's when we're going to start to see a change. And then with labor trafficking, that is being intentional and products come from and there's a great website you can go to it's called slaveryfootprint.org. And you can take a test and it will tell you based on what you own, how many slaves you employ with. Yeah, powerful. Slaveryfootprint.com. Yeah, if you just Google my slavery footprint, it'll come up and it takes you through a series of questions. And at the end, it'll tell you the number of slaves you own. And that is our reality, unfortunately, that most of what we purchase is not made in an ethical fashion. So, you know, we're talking horrific work conditions. Mm crazy long days and little to no pay. And it's not only happening overseas, it's happening here in the States. So one of the most eye-opening things also on my journey was I had a woman ask me if I would come talk to her food co-op about labor trafficking with our food. And I thought, oh, wow, I should, I need to research that. That's very specific. And so I did. And then for the next like three months, I couldn't buy tomatoes (laughs) because the tomato farmers in Florida are being horrifically exploited and working in terrible conditions. Yeah. Or um, out in California too, our fruits and our vegetables, we have to be really intentional. Yes. Because I had no idea about that. I know. So we have to be really intentional. We have to look at you know, what is this company? And do they say something on their website about how they treat their employee employees? And, you know, a lot of times organic can also lend to fair trade, but it doesn't always mean fair trade or fair labor. Um, where our coffee comes from, where our chocolate comes from, those are some of the easy things because they were so bad that that's where a lot of people have Have started. Mm -hmm. Yes. So you look for those labels and you educate yourself. Um, I just saw, I shop at Aldi a lot and I just saw the other day that now the tomatoes, I think it's Sunset brand that I researched way back when now they have a little fair trade label on them. So things are changing. Seven years ago, I Googled fair trade jeans and they're $400. I mean, that's not reasonable. Now you can go to Everlane and you can get ethically made fair trade jeans for $60 and we can shop secondhand and we can do clothing swaps and it's going to take a risk and it's going to take sacrifice for me, (laughs) right? Yeah, I love clothes and I love deals and I loved going to Target and getting $5 
shirts. Yeah, and I, I was like happy. It was like winning. I loved winning at life that way. <laughs> but but it's like our winning is someone else's destruction. A hundred percent. And when you start to draw those parallels, you're like, is it worth it? Well, and that it's interesting to hear us even kind of go down that route because someone that I interviewed last week, Molly Stillman, she has a podcast called Business with yes. a Purpose. She's in my local area here in Raleigh, and she has been instrumental in educating me on ethical fashion, a living wage, so many of those things that honestly, I just hadn't spent time thinking about, Yep. let alone yep. researching. And now I'm like, you know what, a $40 t-shirt may be worth that instead of having three or four $5 t-shirts that someone right. was exploited in order to make. Right. And here's the thing, too, is what I found. So I probably really started to change my buying habits maybe four or five years ago. So a couple years into my anti-trafficking journey. And what I found is the clothes that I've purchased that are ethically made, they last me. I have a shirt I bought probably four years ago, just a black shirt. It's still like the day I bought it. I wear it all the time. I love that. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it's not that we have to like go broke or like sacrifice our budgets. It's just being intentional about what we purchase, how we purchase it. It makes me think twice. I spend less money at Target. It actually does save me money, I think, in the long run because I can walk through Target and go, I'm not so distracted or so tempted, right? Because I'm like, you know, that's not ethically made. I don't that's I don't need to purchase that. So it's actually good for us too. I think we can be enslaved in a lot of ways and materialism and using shopping to make us happy is for sure a way we are not free. And so I think caring about other people and their value and their worth, it brings us freedom. Absolutely. Well, what's on the horizon for stories? What are things that you guys are brainstorming about, working on? Share some of those with us. Yeah, it's been such a journey. We still have this vision of a space, a bricks and mortar space where people can come, learn about human trafficking, learn about what's going on, learn about how they can join and then know that their purchasing power makes a difference. But on that journey and with the truck and with entering the food world, we make all our own sauces and pickles and all these things on the truck. And we're branching out into bottling those and seeing what that looks like to become a fair trade food brand. So it. that's like our little new exciting thing. Your, <laughs> your next venture. It's our next venture. We're doing catering. We're, we're doing the truck is amping up again for once it's not freezing here in I Minnesota. Know. So we do catering. We're doing the truck. Um, and then we're launching into this business. And what we really want to do as an organization honing in is use business to empower people to fight trafficking through what they purchase. Because money, you know, people are going to buy lunch, they're going to buy coffee, they're going to, you know, buy salad dressing at the grocery store. And if we can say your purchase here, just change what you purchase, it's going to make a difference. Mm -hmm. People will do that. And it's, we have so much power in, in how we spend our finances and to allow people to be empowered to do good. I think that is, that's where it's at. So that's where we're going. Well, and I think that you have been in the process of putting out, I don't know if it's, if I would call it literature or, you know, material that really is educating people on trafficking. Where are you at with that? Yeah, we really soon in the next month. Okay. Well, that might be by the time this episode yes, comes out. Right. 
everyone go. Maybe it will. That would be amazing. Um, we are almost finished with an online curriculum that uncovers the root causes of human trafficking and sexual violence. So it really goes deeper into a lot of things I've talked about today about why human trafficking exists and how it really does affect us. And so then therefore how we can in our daily lives come against it through our choices. So, so it'll really be a course for anybody? For anybody. Yep. Just to yep. educate us and teach us how, I mean, I need that. So I'm sure the common, you know, person who knows nothing could benefit from that as well. Definitely. It'll be start at the beginning and um, go deeper. Well, you know, we'll say the facts, but it'll go deeper into, you know, why is this really exist in our world and how do we teach our children different? Mm. How do we change the narrative? How do we speak differently about people and about you know, our choices. And because that really is what, you know, it's not very, it's not like super, um, I don't know, superhero-ish, right? Like we want right. to go in and do the rescue and that's happening and that's amazing and that needs to happen and it needs to be funded. But it also comes down to a really personal level. What am I, what small, seemingly small changes am I going to make every single day to say that I value people? Yes. And I can't agree with that more because I, we so often want to see, you know, the big picture, the big like experience to be known for doing the big thing. But really, it's every little decision along the way that makes a tremendous impact if more and more people make those decisions. Exactly. So that's what it's going to be about. It's going to be great. Well, I'm going to share something that it says on the Stories Foundation website and then ask you a question. It says, live your story share your story, change a story. What would the world look like if we lived authentically the story written for us and shared that story with others, that we would see stories change, not only the stories of the oppressed, but the stories of everyday people as they reached out beyond their comfort zones to make a difference. I mean, this is a big reason why I'm launching Grace Enough podcast, because I do believe that people sharing their stories has an incredible impact across the board. Do you have a story of someone that you've encountered in human trafficking or someone that the Freedom Truck has encountered that you could share with us and how your uh, ministry has impacted them? I'd say a few different stories. So two years ago, we launched a campaign on social media about kind of challenging people to purchase something fair trade for one month, just one item for one month. And so we did a bunch of awareness around fair trade and and what it looks like. And I, this woman, she sent me a message of long after that, it was kind of one of those things like, you know, you have big vision. I, at least I do. I have big vision. So sometimes when things don't exactly go how I want, I'm like, I mean, that kind of flopped, but it never flops. And all of our small things make a big difference. Right. And this woman, she sent me a message. She said, you know what? I took that. Uh, we called it the story changer pledge or something anyways. And she said, I took the pledge and I did it and it's changed my whole life and it's changed how I purchased and it's changed how. And I actually, in now that it's been a couple of years, people are starting to come out and say, yeah, you know, when you did that campaign, it made me relook at things. And I just thought, you know, that's where it's at. That's yeah. where it's at is that just one person at a time, as mm -hmm. we become aware, we make small choices and it can change the trajectory of our lives for the mm -hmm. better. So that's one way. And then with the kind of sex trafficking end of it is we have been able to give money away, which is the vision. <laughs> so right. good. Um, and one of our first organizations that we were able to give to is an organization called Beautiful and Loved. And they're here in the Twin Cities and they go into strip clubs and they do strip club ministry 
through gifts and um, just go in there and be friends and be a positive presence. Um, Cher C. Boyer is the founder and director of that. And she was, I think, the very first organization I wrote a check to. And it's before we really were making a profit. And I didn't even really tell my board. I was just like, we had done events, we had some money, and I knew we had to give some of it away. So I wrote a check. <laughs> And, and that's why been, we have a board. And that I, I, I wasn't a very big check. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, and it really wasn't a big, like when I think back on it, I just, it was just a little gift, right? And, yeah. but she has been the sweetest. And just this picture of what a small amount can do and how that encouraged her, but then also empowered her and her volunteers and her team to go and, you know, deliver gifts and be a positive presence with these women. And a huge need we have for sure here in Minnesota, and I know other places as well, is for housing and for restorative care. And that's something I never would have, if you had asked me seven years ago, actually would have told you flat out that I will never work directly with survivors of trafficking. But that's where we're moving. You know, as we create business, we'll create jobs and Mm -hmm. we'll create income. And then we'll be able to start to cover those vulnerabilities of not having a job and not having a home. And um, that's, that's really it's really where the need is. And mm-hmm. so we're going to move in that way and hopefully use business to start to to change those lives. So that's coming more in the future as well. That is so incredible. I love to hear just, we have a couple of organizations here in Raleigh and, you know, they're giving vulnerable women a job with a living wage and just building their resume, building their confidence around the table, mentoring them because some of these women are in situations where they just have never really had life-giving relationships. And it is a game changer. And you know what? If it's $20, if it's $50, you can never underestimate the giving power because sometimes it just encourages that one person to keep going. Exactly. Exactly. That's exactly right. It may not even be the money. It's just, okay, somebody believes enough in me for me to keep going. Um. Yeah. Okay. So we end the show with a couple of questions that I'm going to ask you. Outside of salvation, what is a time in your life where you have really had to cling to the grace of God? I mean, so we all have the grace of God. We all need it. But there are those times where we seriously can't even take another step without it. Do you have an example you can share with us? Yeah, I was thinking about this because you sent this question. And how do we even live any day with I know. I know. And this journey has been such that personally, I have found myself in situations. And I think the place where I've clung to the grace the most is when I feel like failure is Mm. just hanging over me. This last fall, we tried to buy a building and we had to back out of a purchase agreement. And it was very public. And there were a lot of things that went with that. And just in that space of feeling like, I failed that Mm. it's not about failure and um, just that God, his grace covers me and that we have more than enough and that it's grace upon grace and that it's not my job to make his vision happen. Like I am a getter done kind of girl. I'm like, just do the thing, but it's not my job to make it happen. And his, my good, he wants my good and his grace is for my good. Um, And it's also for his glory. 
but it's not my job to make his glory happen. He's got that. He'll take care of that. And he will take care of my good. And they aren't necessarily like mutually exclusive to like my good is to know him and to be in step with him and to be connected to him. And and his glory is going to happen, how it's going to happen. And Jesus, let me have a front seat for that, right? Like, I want to see your glory in this issue. But man, the grace for that to know that even and when I've done the things I shouldn't, when I've taken it back, when I have Mm. taken the reins back or the responsibility back or lived in a way that wasn't as sweet as I should have in some of those spaces, allowed anxiety or stress to win a little or a lot. (laughs) Uh, The grace in those moments. I think that's that's really what I thought of when I read that question that and and that his mercies are new every morning and he knows the journey we're going to go on. And that's grace. And he still invites us to go on it with him. Gosh, that's like the sweetest thing is to get to be a part of what God's doing. It's really mind blowing, isn't it? It is. Yes. I am listening to you and I remember the Lord really just speaking in my spirit earlier this year and saying, you know, maybe I don't define success the way you do. (laughs) Not at all. And I was like, well, I needed to hear that because, you know, I mean, the failure piece, it's such a pride thing for me. I don't want everyone to see this, this or this happening. But, you know, the Lord's like, well, we may look at that a little bit different. So, yeah, and the refining that comes through that. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, lastly, if you had the chance to sit down with your great grandkids and offer them some wisdom, what is something you'd like to share with them? Oh, it's only Jesus. It's just all only right. Jesus all the time. I just, even my kids the other day, we were talking about grades and school, and I just don't even care. If you love Jesus, I just don't even care. Like, just love Jesus. And, and follow him and risk for him and rest in him and lean on him. And there's nothing else about this life that compares or matters or mm-hmm. will satisfy you. That's it. Just, yeah, Jesus. Just Thank you, Jesus. Jesus. Well, Steph, thank you so much for being here today. Will you tell our listeners where can we find more about your foundation? Yes, storiesfoundation.org is our website. And then on Facebook, Stories Foundation, Instagram, Stories Foundation. The Freedom Truck has its own presence. You can Google the Freedom Truck, Freedom Truck, Minnesota. Yeah. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you, Amber. Summer is upon us. Here is a sneak peek into who I'm chatting with during the month of June. Veronica Greer, who is the wife of SBC President J.D. Greer. B.J. Foster, who is the content creator for All Pro Dads. Kate Turner-Pope, who is the author of The Giving Crusade. And Jillian Penhill, who is the executive director of Created Women. I hope you'll join us and share Grace Enough podcasts with your friends. If Steph mentions something during the episode that you are interested in checking out, go to graceenoughpodcast.com, click show notes, episode 22, and you will find links, quotes, and resources from our conversation. Have you subscribed to the Grace Enough podcast? Clicking that subscribe button helps make sure you never miss a new episode, which releases every Tuesday. Thank you for listening to the Grace Enough podcast. Tune in next time. This episode was brought to you in part by Wheaton College's M.A. in Humanitarian and Disaster Leadership, which prepares Christian professionals to serve others faithfully and excellently. Called to help people facing disasters, human trafficking, poverty, or displacement as refugees? Visit wheaton.edu hdl.